Hey everybody, it's Gregory Haddock, one of the producers of the Eyes on Conservation podcast, and I wanted to start the show a little bit differently because we actually have a special guest for you, and that is we have a new producer to the EOC lineup, Ayashwarya Sridhar, and Ash, as you can call her, is uh, a producer, a filmmaker from Mumbai. She is actually a member of the Wildlands Collective, which is the parent operation that has given life to the Eyes on Conservation podcast. And um, we're pumped to have her. I really think you're going to like this show a lot. It's a big change of pace from the type of stuff you normally hear. But as usual, we just want to know, like, what are the things you want to um, hear more of? I guess that's why I wanted to take a minute to do this, right? Like, at EOC, we love to hear from you. And quite honestly, like, we could hear a lot more of you. There are so many people who listen to this show and I just... It would be, I want to, I want to hear, we want to hear from all of you. There's so many people like, tell us what you think about it. As far as I'm concerned, and I think most of us, it's your show. So know that we listen to and we respond to all the messages that we get. Just know that for exclusive voting rights, you'll need to become a patron to our show at patreon.com slash Collective. That's where you have the opportunity to not only tell us the direction you think we ought to be heading in, but you make it possible to have people like Ash produce for this show. You give us the bandwidth and you give us the means in order to make this kind of stuff happen. So please become a patron and support our work for as little as a dollar a show. We've got five fundraising goals on there. And here's the craziest part about it. If Every one of our listeners donated just a single dollar to each episode. We would smash through every single one of our goals overnight. That's bananas, right? A big thank you to patrons Sean, Ronnie, Rob, Matthew, Laura, Kristen, Diane, Greg, Brantz, Candice, and Benjamin. We just can't say thank you enough. We're really excited to have you. Thank you. Did I mention that we want to hear from you? I don't know if I did, but if I didn't, let me make it clear. You can call the EOC voicemail at 208-917-3786. That's 208-917-3786. It's a new number. We're going to try that for a little while and see how it goes. I've tested it. It works. And you can also send a voice note or email to info at wildlandsinc.org. And if you send us a message, we might even use that audio on the show. So please just reach out and let us know. Uh, Okay, so at Cat Lopez Music on Instagram, uh, that's K-A-T-L-O-P-E-S Music on Instagram, wrote from Union Square in Manhattan this week, quote, Currently on MTA, listening to my usual conservation podcast at Wildlands, Eyes on Conservation. Woot woot! That was me, not her. Uh, Considering implications for the current political climate, wondering if everything environmental activists work for is feasible, pondering my place in it all. Maybe it's just me, but it all gets heavy. Staying angry is exhausting, but not engaging in the political landscape is irresponsible. Reflecting on this quote from Michael Moore a lot lately. This morning I have been pondering a nearly forgotten lesson I learned in high school music. Sometimes in band or choir, music requires players or singers to hold a note longer than they actually can hold a note. 
In those cases, we were taught to mindfully stagger when we took a breath, so the sound appeared uninterrupted. Everyone got to breathe, and the music stayed strong and vibrant. Yesterday, I read an article that suggested the administration's litany of bad executive orders, more expected on LGBTQ in next week, is a way of giving us protest fatigue. We will literally lose our will to continue the fight in the face of the onslaught of negative action. Let's remember music. Take a breath. The rest of the chorus will sing. The rest of the band will play. Rejoin so others can breathe. Together we can sustain a very long, beautiful song for a very, very long time. You don't have to do it all, but you must add your voice to the song. Well, at Cat Lopez Music, ain't that the truth? Uh, Anybody fighting the good fight has felt protest fatigue at some point, like you just hit this wall, and then you kind of sort of drop out for a bit, and the crappy part is then you start feeling guilty about it. Uh, That's not really fair either, right? Um, I personally grew up in a church, and we would call it volunteer burnout, So you see like the same 10 to 15 people are pegged every single volunteer opportunity until they just like check out altogether and just ghost the church. And it's like there's there's got to be a better way. Right. And organizationally speaking, that's why funding is so important. Probably the biggest reason unchecked capitalism can ravage a perfectly healthy landscape is because it's a money train, you know, there's a financial incentive and it drives a lot of power and a lot of resources in one direction. That's why it's also important to financially support the work of groups trying to organize that fight, like the Island Conservation Podcast and Patreon, uh, shameless plug, because as they say, before you chop wood and bake bread, you gotta chop wood and bake bread. Anyway, you get the point. Uh, at Cat Lopez Music on Instagram. Thanks for thinking of us and thanks for listening to us on the MTA. We're pumped to be a part of your commute and for sharing us with the rest of the world. We uh, really appreciate your comments. Thanks. We also got a voicemail in from Hannah Mulvaney of England as well. Let's take a listen to that. Hi, Eyes on Conservation podcast. Hannah here. So I'm currently living in New Zealand and I walked into the supermarket the other day and they have gone completely plastic free in their fruit and veg department. And I actually just stood for a minute in complete shock um, and looked around me and everything was in kind of these little cardboard containers instead of plastic. And they're also compostable. Um, they're actually made from, um, they're made locally and it seems like the supermarket has seemed to have actually considered every single aspect of it that I could moan about. Um, as an environmentalist, I like to, um, sometimes complain at people until they make a change, but there was nothing I could really say. I mean, obviously going completely packaging free would be ideal, But the fact that I know that their customers are now not using all of the plastic that they would have used a couple of weeks ago um, filled me with joy. And it's just always nice to see when you work really, really hard to get people to change their behaviors when it's actually not a person that does it, when it's a big 
company that decides that actually they've had so much pressure put on them that it's time to make a change. So I just wanted to share this little hopeful um, environmental story with you from um, Auckland, New Zealand, and hope that um, there's going to be other supermarkets that start doing the exact same thing, um, if not going completely packaging free. So, yeah, thanks and keep up the good work. Yeah, that's really cool, especially when it's kind of unexpected, right? You go into your supermarket and you're like expecting the same old, same old. And then it's like, boom, look at this. Uh, not even incremental change, it sounds like, but to like go, you know, relatively close to package free, at least plastic free, like you said, that is like stellar, stellar, stellar. It's interesting things like how New York is uh, implementing their plastic bag ban. That's really cool too. I was seeing an article about uh, an artist who had been collecting plastic bags from all around New York City for like a really, really long time. Kind of a bizarre collection, but artists are weird, right? Yeah, okay. Uh, but then I was like, oh my God, like that's crazy. All of these bags are gonna become relics someday. Like we will eventually get to a point where the like you'll see a bag like somebody will have one they'll like pull it out of a closet or like out of a you know time capsule or something like and you'll be like oh my god i haven't seen one of those in a minute so it's kind of an exciting time because like a lot of things are definitely heading in the right direction so hannah thank you very much for sending us that voicemail uh, again, if you want to send us a voicemail, you can record a voice note on your phone or you can just send us a regular email. You can hit us up on Instagram or Facebook at Wildlands Inc. or Eyes on Conservation. Both of those will get back to us. And the email is info at wildlandsinc.org or the voicemail, again, trying that out tentatively, 208-917-3786. So if you want to tell us why you like the show or a question or a comment for us, we're all about it. Hell, if you want to tell us what you don't like about the show, we're all about that too. And your comments, emails, or voicemails might even be used on upcoming episodes. If you're not sure what to contact us about, I'd like to start by asking this question right here. What is the outside activity that you have been waiting all winter to do? If you're like me and you're in Colorado right now, it is unseasonably warm, like just way too warm for early March. And so like I went out and played Frisbee golf. I was like, this is cool. I forgot how much I like this. So it's like everybody's everybody's got that one thing they just can't wait to do outside. What's yours? Hit us up info at wildlandsinc.org or the voicemail at 208-917-3786. Welcome to the Eyes on Conservation podcast, episode number 195. I'm Aishwarya Sridhar, the producer and host of today's episode. So before we dive in, I'd like to ask you a small favor. If you haven't already made a pledge to our Patreon page, I encourage you to do so. When you visit www.patreon.com slash collective within minutes, you can actually become a real partner with Eyes on Conservation and help enable us to expand the work that we're currently doing. It's super easy and every donation makes a big difference. Thank you in advance. Also, our goal is to bring together 
the eyes on conservation community closer and include new voices like mine. So we would love to hear from you and what you think of our show. You can send us a voice note to be played on the show or even a regular email to info at wildlensinc.org would be great. Since this is my first episode for the Eyes on Conservation community, a little bit about who I am and what I do. I am a 23-year-old wildlife presenter, photographer and storyteller from the exotic land of India. I have just completed filming one of the most photographed and iconic wild Bengal tigress from the forests of central India. And I enjoyed it really, really a lot. And today, I am super duper thrilled to be presenting my first podcast on the Eyes on Conservation community. I joined it in December last year and uh, I really feel honored to be part of such a great network and connect with some amazing filmmakers and podcasters from around the globe. So today we are going to be talking about a very special ecosystem, a topic which is very close to my heart. This habitat can be found in areas of millions of square kilometers or in your backyard itself. Yes, a wetland. Those areas of land covered by water either permanently or seasonally. So before the episode begins, I want you all to close your eyes and listen. Getting goosebumps, right? When we think of wetlands, all we can imagine are ghostly swamps where spiders have huge webs that look like banshee in whales or the dangerous dead marshes through which Gollum led Frodo in the Lord of the Rings. However, wetlands in reality are not at all these dangerous, murky, smelly, marshy areas. In fact, they are the most cheerful places, full of life and activity. If you have been to one, you would definitely know how beautiful it sounds. If you haven't, don't worry, just listen now. Wetlands are places where life gravitates to, where human settlements started and where wildlife will gravitate around as well. Wetlands are one of the most productive ecosystems in the world, comparable to rainforests and coral reefs. Born and brought up in a coastal city like Mumbai, which has many wetlands surrounding it, I have spent a great deal of my childhood observing the flora and fauna they have to offer. (laughs) 
Why just Mumbai? I'm pretty sure wetlands exist throughout the world. And there is not a place on earth which doesn't have a wetland ecosystem. It could be a swamp, a marshy pit, a lake, mudflats, mangroves, bogs and peatlands. All of them are termed as wetlands and they provide a range of environmental, economic and social services like recharging our aquifers, flood control, wildlife and fisheries habitat, air purification and carbon sequestration. But sadly today, wetlands are disappearing three times faster than our forests. A meagre 6% of the Earth's surface is covered by wetlands, whereas 31% of the Earth's surface still has forests. And yet, we don't seem to appreciate them in the same way. So to understand wetlands better myself and to help you understand its importance, I met Mr. Debbie Goenka, a renowned conservationist who has been working towards the protection of mangroves and wetlands for over 35 years of his life. He is the executive trustee of Conservation Action Trust, a non-governmental organization based in India, which is engaged in environmental protection. And he's also the force behind the recent policy protecting the Indian mangroves. So I met Mr. Goenka at his office, which is located right in the middle of Mumbai city. So instead of hearing um, lovely chirpy sounds of birds, all I could hear in the background was traffic noises, cars honking, engines buzzing. But what to do? That is how a city sounds. Let's hear what he has to say about why wetlands are considered an integral part of our ecosystem. Actually, we have two different kinds of wetlands we are here to talk about. One are the coastal wetlands, which include mangrove, and there are the wetlands which are not along the coastline but in the interior. But both are very, very important in their own different ways. As far as mangroves are concerned, uh, they provide shelter or to fish, all kinds of marine life. They provide breeding ground for fish and marine life within their ecosystem. They also protect the coastline from erosion. They protect the coastline from extreme climatic events. And they are also very, very important in terms of sequestering carbon. They sequester about eight times more carbon than any other sort of land-based ecosystem. So they are really, very, very important. And best of all, they are free. And of course, like all other trees, they provide oxygen. And mangroves also have a very unique property of being able to absorb heavy metals and also a lot of the pollution that comes into the creeks and so on. So really, they are God gift to mankind in the true sense. Yes, wetlands are vital for human survival. They are cradles of biological diversity that provide the water and productivity upon which countless species of plants and animals survive. And for the conservation and wise use of wetlands, an international treaty was signed on the 2nd of February in the year 1971 in the Iranian city of Ramsar. It came to be known as the Convention on Wetlands or the Ramsar Convention and is the first of the modern global intergovernmental treaty 
on the conservation and sustainable use of wetlands. As of October 2019, 171 countries have signed this treaty. India became a part of this convention in 1982 and currently has 27 sites designated as wetlands of international importance or Ramsar sites. Mr. Goenka goes on to explain the national laws that are in place protecting the Indian wetlands and mangroves. As far as inland mangroves are concerned, uh, sorry, inland wetlands are concerned, there were wetland rules of 2011, yes. which have been replaced by the wetland rules of 2017. Yes. And inland wetlands have also been protected. As far as Ramsar Convention is concerned, it's a very interesting thing. It's an international treaty which India signed way back in 71 right. in Iran. But unfortunately, the wetland status under Ramsar gives the wetland no special protection because the wetland uh, uh, convention of Ramsar talks about wise use of wetlands and nothing more. Okay. So it has no legal backing in that sense. And the problem again is what is the wise use of wetland? Everybody seems to interpret it differently. A builder thinks that a wise use of wetland is to reclaim it and build on it. Bird watchers like you and me think a wise use of wetland is to keep the wetland protect and keep the habitat protected right. so that nature remains what it is and birds and other wildlife have a habitat to live in and enjoy. Right. So it's a very very difficult uh, treaty to interpret. I think the national legislation in that sense is much better than the Ramsar treaty. Despite being protected, wetlands are on the front line as development pressures increase everywhere. They are the first to be reclaimed when it comes to allocating land for development. Since 1900, around 64% of the world's wetlands have disappeared due to this very factor. And Mr. Goenka goes on to share with us the reasons why they are so vulnerable and why development now needs to be sustainable. I think it's mainly because of greed. Uh, because if you look at what's happening even in a city like Mumbai, we had so many ponds and so many other natural wetlands most of which have all been reclaimed and buildings have been put up. So that's the build-up lobby working to destroy wetlands. We are having the same problem in Panjai and other wetlands in and around Uran, right. where wetlands are being destroyed for commercial exploitation. The second thing is, you know, when the British came to India, they destroyed the traditional irrigation system, which were dependent on these wetlands. The moment we started building these huge dams and saying that, you know, pipe water will take care of all your requirements, the traditional wetland started getting destroyed and people lost the, re the reverence they had for the wetlands and wetlands actually became dumping ground. Okay. And the moment people stopped using the wetland for productive water use and so on, that was the beginning of the end for most of the wetlands. Well, I have a problem with the use of the word development, the way you have used it. I would not call reclamation of wetland for building development. I would call it, in fact, the opposite of development. 
and in fact uh, though this is an audio podcast let me tell you listeners i have a different way of spelling development i spell it as d e v i l o p m e n t development yeah, yeah it's very true so when you are reclaiming wetlands for construction that's the way i would describe it as development and not development secondly uh, to give you again the example of mangroves when i first started the campaign to protect mangroves i realized that most government officers and decision makers didn't even know what mangroves were let alone the importance of mangroves it was a very long process to get people educated about the importance of mangroves and in a lighter vein let me tell you in 81 when i used to talk about mangroves people used to think i was talking about mangroves today's situation has changed if you talk about mangroves in mumbai 99% of the people know what, know what mangroves are and they appreciate the fact that mangroves are important and need to be protected right secondly given the fact that mangroves were considered unimportant and treated as wastelands and not as wetlands they were the first priority you know people thought they were mosquito breeding ground people didn't realize the importance people didn't appreciate the value of wetlands and mangroves so they used to think okay let's get rid of this swamp this dirty marshy ground where mosquitoes are breeding then we can put up buildings and we can use it more productively not realizing that they were destroying the most productive ecosystem on the planet it's absolutely right so our wetlands are on the brink of extinction and to protect them the bombay natural history society which is a non governmental organization in india engaged in conservation and wildlife research along with the government of india has come up with a national action plan for the central asian flyway wetlands so what is the central asian flyway all about well it comprises of several important migration routes of waterbirds across 30 countries it links their northernmost breeding grounds in russia to the southernmost non breeding ground in west and south asia maldives and british indian ocean territory a few days ago india's honorable prime minister shri narendra modi spoke about this at the cop 13 convention on the conservation of migratory species of wild animals Here's an excerpt of his speech. India is a part of the Central Asian Flyway for migratory birds, with a view to conserve the birds along the Central Asian Flyway and their habitats. India has prepared a national action plan for conservation of migratory birds. along the central asian flyway india would be happy to facilitate preparations of action plan for other countries in this regard we are keen to take the conservation of migratory birds to a new paradigm with active cooperation of all the central asian flyway range countries So like Mr Modi said in his speech India is a part of the Central Asian Flyway and the country supports more than 1% of the global populations of several migratory birds 
and provides critical stopover sites to over 90% of bird species. Mr. Goenka is also the honorary secretary of the Bombay Natural History Society, who is taking the lead in preparing the National Action Plan. He sheds light on the importance of this for India's wetlands. Well, speaking for myself, I think the National Action Plan is a very, very important uh, document. And the idea is uh, to protect the habitats of the birds that use this flyway. And because it's actually a complete north-south flyway going through India, mm-hmm. India is a very, very important link in the chain for all the migratory species. I think India is in the middle, literally, physically in the middle of the flyway. And if India is not part of the flyway, uh, it's like saying that, you know, you have a ladder, but you're knocking out the center portion of the ladder. Okay. So how do you climb the ladder if the right. center of the ladder is actually missing? So therefore, India's role in this uh, CAF is extremely vital. And it's a very important step that the BNHS, under the leadership of our director, has initiated. And our director has been working very closely with the government of India, the environment ministry particularly, to put this in place. And so far we have got complete support from the Ministry of Environment and Forest. And the entire idea behind this Central Asia Flyway Plan is to protect birds and bird habitats, including wetlands. And as long as we continue to have the support of the government of India and the state governments as well, I think the wetlands can and should be protected. Once implemented, the National Action Plan would definitely help preserve these vanishing habitats. An immense variety of species of microbes, plants, insects, amphibians, reptiles, birds, fish and mammals are a part of the wetland ecosystem. Wetlands are like a biological supermarket. They provide great volumes of food and animals use these wetlands for part of or all of their life cycle. Dead plant leaves and stems break down in the water to form small particles of organic material called detritus. This enriched material feeds many small aquatic insects, shellfish and small fishes that are food for larger predatory fish, reptiles and mammals. But because of constant reclamation and encroachment due to urbanization, oil wells and gas plants, the biodiversity that these wetlands support have drastically changed over the years. Let's hear from Mr. Goenka on the change in the population of migratory birds that have been visiting Indian shores. I think there has been a dramatic reduction in bird population across the board. Species that were very common earlier have become virtually extinct. And this applies to almost all species, excepting in urban settlement crows and uh, blue rock pigeon, whose population keep expanding. The vulture population has collapsed because of the use of diclofenac, for example. Other bird species that were dependent on traditional agricultural practices have declined because the traditional agriculture system in the country has been virtually replaced by a totally different kind of system. And uh, a lot of pesticides are being used, a lot of chemical fertilizers are being used. 
and there's one more factor uh, we are still not sure what roles cell phone towers and radiation have played in the decline of bird population that's a controversial theory not been tested but people still think that uh, you know for example the decline of sparrow population in urban centers may be linked to cell phone tower radiation uh, but i think generally talking about bird population in the country uh, they have declined dramatically both in terms of numbers and in species diversity that is really a huge change observed once considered the lifeline of humanity today they are termed as just wastelands and reclaimed recklessly for development this has not only impacted humanity but also the population of migratory birds so to sensitize citizens on the need to preserve wetlands and to raise global awareness about the value that these ecological habitats have for man and our planet every year on 2nd of february world wetland day is celebrated across the globe schools take children to nearby wetlands for an excursion posters are made slogans are chanted but does celebrating such days and pledging conservation on just one day make any difference for our vanishing wetlands or does the celebration help sensitize the youth and our citizens to protect whatever is left mr goenka answers these very questions i personally don't think it works because every day is some kind of celebration day to look at the calendar right and just adding one more day to a long list of celebration doesn't really make an impact i think if you really want to protect mangroves or protect wetland or protect birds it has to be an effort around the year 365 days of the year it can't be a one day of the year kind of effort that is something to think about instead of just observing one day to protect these habitats every day should be marked as world wetland day then only can we really get people to raise their voices and save our remaining tracts of bogs mangroves and marshes mr goenka sheds light on what is needed at the ground level that is at the societal level to protect our precious wetlands i think uh... you know living in the biggest democracy in the world which is india i think if citizens start taking an interest in environment citizens start speaking out about the need to protect the environment they're more vocal i think the decision makers will have to sit up and take notice because ultimately in a democracy the leaders have to listen to their voters so if we think it is an important issue which it is i mean the survival of our own species is dependent on the survival of the environment uh, i think the voters and the citizens of mumbai india and mumbai and maharashtra will have to become more vocal about the need to protect the environment and the need to give environmental protection a priority i agree totally with you on that sir citizens have the power in them to bring about a change and i was very lucky to have met one such individual During the making of my first documentary Panjai the Last Wetland I interacted with Mr Nikhil Bhopale founder of Greenworks Trust which is an NGO pioneering environmental education in India He's a conservationist an educationist and an author 
having written a book on the birds of the Indian subcontinent. While we were speaking about the roles that citizens could play in conservation, he happened to narrate to me an incident that happened around 12 years ago when he and his friends caught a poacher hunting flamingos at a wetland near Mumbai. He shares that story with us today. Well, we were also so naive then. So, this is long, long back, about 12 years, 12, 13 years back this is. And uh, uh, that time we just went for birding. We just went there. We were lucky enough to have cameras of people, different people. We had it with us saying we are going for birding. Can we take it? And we took cameras and we were there birding and we saw one guy shooting and we heard, first we heard the gunshots. Then we saw her, saw him coming out of the marshes, then shooting in the air when the flamingos were started flying, and then he could kill about five in one shot. So five flamingos were dead, and we thought that we will do something about this. So first we thought of uh, grabbing him, his him by collar. Then we thought it is not a good idea probably because we are not locals and uh, that can go in a wrong, wrong direction. So then we thought we just went that we sh showed interest that whatever you are doing, we like, fantastic, how you can do it, what to do, what we can do. And so and so we almost took an interview and we recorded everything what he said. And he was so convinced by our, uh, you know, talking to him, he called uh, the people who asked him to kill from my phone itself. So he called them and said, no, it's, you know, our kids, society kids are here, just wanted to see me and how I'm doing and all. Uh, come, come, not, no issues. So as soon as the vehicle came, we went off the road. And we came back home and we had a word with our friend who was used to write about, uh, write, uh, who was a journalist. So we asked him and we went back again to the Uran and tried to do FIR. It didn't happen. FIR happened four days later. And uh, so uh, police was not ready to take the FIR. Then we had, we gave the written complaint and then we got a lot of calls to back out from the case as, a, uh, as the one who asked to kill uh, for food was the right hand of the environmental minister then. And uh, uh, so sadly these things happen and our intention was just to aware people which happened. So the case is still on 13 years, we are still there, the case is still on. But the good thing happened is that uh, the awareness which we wanted to create, it happened very well because in Uran there was a human change form for one kilometer for saving wetlands and saving uh, uh, flamingos then, that time. And that time, no one was into it. And that time, creating that impact was, we are happy whatever happened. Second thing, what happened was, the vehicle which came to take the flamingos, that flamingos, that is confiscated. That is with the forest department. So that vehicle itself is uh, costing at least 8 lakh rupees then. So, uh, so of course, that created a great impact. And it was fun. It was a long story though. Hundreds of species are poached every year, be it for medicine or for illegal wildlife trade. Exotic ones like the flamingos are regularly killed for their meat.
I'm really sure that after listening to this story, many would be inspired to take up the fight to protect our wild neighbors. But I have noticed that while a lot of people come forward to support an issue related to forest and trees, not many come forth when it comes to wetlands. I often wonder why. Maybe it's because they don't know the role that wetlands play in maintaining an ecological balance. Anyway, I asked this to Nikhil and here's what he has to say. Game of numbers. I'm not talking about stocks, but the, it's a game of numbers. So the peop, where the population is too high, the saturation is already high. So that means the impact will be different and people will matter. People will prefer uh, going against that matter. Whereas in other areas, it is very different. And as I said before, wetlands is second. First is forest for everyone because wetland is uh, very less number of people, percentage of people are connected directly to the wetlands. And we don't realize it. I mean, directly connected to wetlands. Of course, everyone is connected, but directly, which is seen, People here are busy talking about, will I get my food? Will I get good job? Will my son uh, get a good education? People are, uh, and they are too much busy with the, whether I'll get electricity or water or potholes will be uh, good, the roads will be good or not. We are not coming out of that. We are too much busy into us, our life, my life, my society. That's it. We don't go beyond that. So first that awareness has to break out on a larger scale. So then the point for environmental issues and then for wetland because wetland comes second. It is second to everyone. First for me, it is forest. If I save forest, I'll get oxygen. If I save forest, I'll get fresh air. If I save forest, I'll get the rain. But if I save wetland, what will I get? I don't get anything. That is what people think. So technically we should say save humans. Uh, because we are saving ourselves. We, do, we are not God to save nature. Nature has created us. We cannot control it. We can control it, but we cannot save it. If we wish to save it, just die. Simple. No population, no tension. <laughs> but if we wish to sustain for ours, so what is sustainability? It is for us. Sustainability is not for nature. If nature disappears, we are no longer a part of any ecosystem. We are gone, we are finished. But if we wish to sustain, we have to use sustainable ways to save ourselves, not the nature. Yeah, I mean, that is so true. And the only way we can change people's mindset is by awareness, like I am doing through this podcast. Educate people on the benefits that these marshlands have to offer us, and then they would definitely not want to replace them with concrete structures. Because reclaiming them doesn't only affect birds and animals, it also affects fisherfolk and tribal communities dependent on these ecosystems. While working as a green educator for tribal communities, Nikhil got a very good chance to examine closely the relationships that tribals share with different ecosystems. And he shares with us today the impact on livelihoods when habitats like wetlands are reclaimed. Ages, many, many, many centuries ago, we were, we started agriculture 12,000 years ago, possibly. Someone, 
people say that it is about 12000 years ago but before that we used to eat right because humans are there for 2 lakh years mm. so that means we are we were uh, trying to feed on something else so what was that so one there is rivers second there is hunting so hunting is not only the option so their rivers was the second option which was easier catching fishes and stuff like that was easier so f- fish is main what you get from the water now uh, it's not only this there is uh, if you know shingada so people can do uh, lots of they can cultivate uh, uh, water plants to uh, economical sustainability which comes from that and other than that recreation activities like tourism boating bird watching you know these are the uh, i mean take examples from bhigwan to uran to mumbai anywhere you go boat rides fishermen are earning not only from the catching fish but taking uh, birders to the birds showing them birds at close range earning from that too so if the wetlands disappear everything the economical imbalance will be created automatically sadly land reclamation not only affects our wildlife but also the local people who are dependent on these habitats for their livelihood most of the time they are just compensated a measly sum and live their life in poverty so can we do something to change this a big yes we can how by restoring or creating new wetlands but is that really possible well nikhil answers that very question whatever we do we can try we cannot match what was there naturally we can just create a water body we cannot create a wetland there's a difference when we talk of water body when the layman speaks about it and when we talk about wetland so restoring anyways whether it is a water body or forest it is difficult because naturally what happens is unparalleled we cannot replicate it but whatever best we can do we should do now to recreate of of uh, wetlands in some other places where there was no wetland it can be a bad idea unless studied well now as you said china has given a proposal and they are planning to do that there are already malaysia has planned for such things there are some south asian countries who have starting uh, wetland parks inside the cities so uh, those kind of things are little different and uh, what we have wetlands is completely different and they cannot be on the same line and they cannot be created on the same line it has to put separately and with well studied and observations has to be there for long research has to be there then possibly we can try doing it you are absolutely right nikhil why destroy them in the very first place and then create something which does not yield the same benefits i mean just look at how people lived during the early times we built human settlements around wetlands and rivers because during summers the wetlands provided us with water as they collected it and during monsoon they absorbed the excess water and prevented flooding lots of food for life to thrive but then industrialization and urbanization happened technology came in we built over wetlands and we forgot the services they provided us for free and instead 
we began paying for those very services like reservoirs or water treatment services, etc. Remember, folks, wetlands are water and water is life. They provide the world's fresh water supply and act as a carbon sink. Peatlands store twice as much as carbon than forests, yet they cover only 3% of the Earth's surface. 40% of the world's species thrive on these wetlands. More than 1 billion people depend on these ecological habitats for their livelihood. Currently, wetlands are estimated to cover more than 12.1 million square kilometers, an area greater than Canada itself. But let's not reduce this area anymore. Wetlands are not wastelands. And as we stand on the brink of a big climate crisis that could tilt our planet's ecological balance, the need to protect these natural carbon sinks is even more vital. So the next time the wetland noises come creeping in, just put up your feet and listen with a grin. Let's pledge to start a talk today and retain these vital habitats. You have been listening to the Eyes on Conservation podcast. A very big thank you to Mr. Debbie Goenka of Conservation Action Trust and Mr. Nikhil Bopley of Greenworks Trust for taking their time out to be a part of this show. If you want to be a part of the incredible work that Mr. Goenka is doing, you can visit cat.org.in to know more. Similarly, with Nikhil, you can visit Greenworks Trust on their Facebook page. The music you're listening to is Crescents by Ketsa from Free Music Archives. This episode was produced and edited by me, Aishwarya Shridhar. I would love to hear from you, so please write to me at info at wildlandsinc.org. If you liked this episode, then please make a pledge on our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash wildlandscollective. For a full list of today's episode links and contributors, including music, please visit the show notes page on www.wildlandsinc.org slash EOC195. This is Aishwarya Shridhar reminding you once again that we have only one home, our precious earth. A big thank you for listening. big shout out to Ayashwarya Shridhar or Ash for producing that piece for Eyes on Conservation. Ash is EOC's newest contributing producer hailing from Mumbai, India. To hear more of her work, including film and some really just stunning photos, check out her website at www.aishwaryashridhar.com.